0: Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline, I'm Frank Rossi. Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our partners at DryJack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends all in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. And the Plant Food Company, developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946. It's a typical start to the growing season in the Southeast United States, and it's filled with pathogens and stress, as Lee Butler from NC State is about to tell us. Keeping your plants healthy starts with being sure it's properly fed. And when you're thinking of feeding your plants, the Plant Food Company has cost-effective solutions to your nutrient management needs from science-based recommendations established at dozens of universities. For more information, contact your local plant food representative or go to plantfoodco.com. Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline. Lee Butler, we had such a nice chat last time as things started to get going. And a couple of interesting things have come to light. What a great program you have down there. Kearns is, in addition to being quite the golfer, you guys have a really wonderful team of plant pathologists working together. The young people you have there in the graduate program look like they're doing great work. Something came up recently with regard to this take-all root rot. Now, this is a strange deal, Lee. Looks like a root complex attacking Ultradorf Bermuda in the summer months when rooting is pretty good, right? So let's talk a little bit about, number one, are you getting any samples of this in the lab? And what is the story right now on this particular pathogen?
1: It is very interesting. Cam Stevens, our PhD student, who's now a PhD candidate, has done a lot of great work with this pathogen. And it is a complex, you know, it's not just one fungus, if you will. There are multiple genera and species that are associated with it. He's done a really nice job identifying them. He's kind of just uh, added on to what Philip Vines did with Maria down in Mississippi State, identifying those ones and, and proving the pathogenicity of them. As far as samples go, I am just now starting to see a little bit, starting to see the actual organism on Bermudagrass stolens. In samples that are not take-all samples yet, but I'm seeing that the pathogen is active, if you will. I just spoke with Joe Roberts uh, down at Clemson the other day, and he's already diagnosed a few courses there down in the coastal regions of South Carolina. So it, it is starting to show up. And based on Cam's temperature work, you know, now is the time to start preventative programs.
0: So is this very much like all the other root diseases, except you've got multiple enemies? I mean, the way I think about root diseases is that it's a war of attrition. Some level of root infection is going to occur, and it's how many can you save, and you, can you save enough to uh, keep the surface
1: sustained?
0: Is, is this what we're talking about again?
1: I think so, yeah. It's, that's a good way to put it. Any of these uh, soil-borne root pathogens are quite complex. I mean, even with Pythium root rot, right? There right. there are a lot of different species that cause Pythium root rot, and they occur in different temperature ranges. So, you know, we say Pythium root rot, and all throughout the year, it's not just when it's hot. You know, and, and the same thing with, with this deal. Uh, you know, as we as we learn more about this uh, complex, we may come to see that different ones. You know, they they do seem to like about seventy seven to eighty six degrees Fahrenheit. But you know, as we as we move forward, we may see just slight differences, and and that may impact which fungicides work best early on versus ones that work later in the year. You know, we don't know that for sure just yet. But you know, based on what he's done in vitro, it looks like it doesn't matter too much just yet. It, it appears that the QOIs. And the DMI fungicides are, are the best, regardless of which pathogen is responsible, which is a good thing because we have seen that where he's done population studies at different courses, those percentages can be different. So one course may be managing a completely different set of pathogens than another course, you know, and it's still take all root rot but they're managing different fungi.
0: So do the warm season grasses, to your knowledge, with these pathogens, would they respond to manganese sulfate and altering the pH uh, like we see in the cool season, take all galminomyces that attacks bentgrass? Do you know, has anybody tried any of these uh, manganese sulfate sorts of things? Or are we going the fungicide route pretty
1: standard? So I don't know if anybody's done any work with take all root rot in Bermuda. We have kind of assumed that that would help. And we do recommend that, hey, why not try it? Uh, It'll probably be beneficial. Uh, But we haven't done anything looking at that yet. And if, if somebody else has done it, I'm not aware of it yet.
0: Okay, so thank you for bringing up the fungicide component because that's the natural progression of our conversation and how much you guys have been chatting and doing research on uh, irrigating after application. And I have to say, Lee, I think the thing that strikes everybody about all of this work you guys are doing with irrigation after application is how little the fungicide actually penetrates into the soil, even when most people think you're putting on a fair amount of water, do you suspect the lack of water use also contributing to this problem being more severe, not watering in the fungicide enough?
1: It, it very well could be. I feel like when we run into places where they use the right product and their timing was good, you know, I'm not sure they know exactly how much water they're putting out. So, you know, a lot, a lot of superintendents do. But most of the time, you know, when we call and, and their first question is, well, how many turns of the head is that or how many minutes is it? I, I don't know. You know, you've got to do an audit on your system And at our research farm, it happens to be exactly five minutes with part circle heads. But, you know, it it is crucial that you know exactly. We recommend that you do at a minimum an eighth of an inch up to a quarter of an inch is even better. And like you said, based on the the work that Wendell Hutchins did, uh, Daniel Freund and Cameron as well, looking at the fungicide movement, uh, these things, they're really hard to move through turf grass systems with all the organic matter up in that top thatch here.
0: Yes. And typically we're applying them in low volumes of water. I mean, there is some benefit to even a pre-application irrigation or uh, applying in higher volume, but that takes more time. But I think it's important for superintendents to know that, you know, if you're not doing this last little critical part right, uh, it doesn't matter if you use the right chemical or it doesn't matter if you do it at the right time because these fungicides only protect materials above where they go, right? None of these products are moving down into the plant.
1: That's correct, yeah. So the majority of everything we're using are acropetal penetrants, which means that they move upward only. You know, it needs to be immediate. So we, we always joke, as soon as the sprayer rolls off, let the heads fly, right? Right. Cameron just did some work where, he looked at irrigating six hours later, and it still moved it a little bit, but it was nowhere as good as doing it immediately. Yeah, and if you don't, it's, it's you're wasting your time, and that is where we see a lot of failures: is just folks not getting the watered in quick enough, or not with enough water, uh, and they're never reaching the target. Well,
0: it's interesting we're talking about water because my quick perusal of the weather in advance of our conversation is indicating that it's been on the wet side there. And at least by national averages and rankings, you guys are also on the cooler and wetter side, which I wonder, is that the reason why you're finding that wonderful dollar spot on the turf-type tall fescue that you tweeted about. So let's start with the weather, cool and wet, and what's that doing to the sample submission?
1: Yeah, so it's actually been a very good year for creeping bentgrass uh, down here in in our neck of the woods. Normally, we get a lot of creeping bentgrass samples this time of year. We're still getting a fair amount, but it's not like a normal year. Just talking to those that are still managing bentgrass in North Carolina and talking to sales reps and people that are out walking these greens, you know, far more than I am. Uh, it's been a really good year for bentgrass, And even our own research plots at the farm, you know, we're, we're trying to kill them with disease. And, you know, it's, it's the pressure hasn't been quite what we've had in years past, especially for something like brown patch, which is almost a given. Uh, we're You know, we're kind of struggling to push brown patch. In fact, uh, we're going to start watering at the wrong time of days just to try to make it happen because it's not happening. But yeah. the bentgrass is doing too good. Well,
0: on the other hand, I can't imagine the Bermuda is liking cloudy, cool, rainy weather. Is that bringing on any problems in your normal Bermuda grass stands?
1: Yes, those guys are doing pretty good as well. We've seen a little bit of leaf spot. It's been a really good year for fairy ring, which probably has a lot to do with the moisture, right? When I last talked to you, I was getting a lot of fairy ring samples. Uh, We're still getting them. Seeing it, you know, in our research plots, nematodes are a lot of that's coming in regardless of host. Pythium root rot, you know, like you said, we are getting some really good afternoon, heavy rains here in the Carolinas with now we're really hot. We've had uh, July for the Raleigh area. We're on pace to have, I think, like 20 plus days above 90. So that's perfect root rot weather. Uh, So we are starting to see pythium root rot samples are starting to pour in. Summer patch is starting to come in. Uh, here in the Carolinas, uh, on, on bent grass, that is, which is normal. That, that's to be expected. But for Bermuda grass, it's pretty quiet right now, which is expected as well. Usually, usually June and July are probably when we get our least amount of samples on Bermuda grass. Uh, but that, that'll start ramping up by the end of August. Uh, that's usually when we start seeing a lot of leaf and sheath spot or mini ring, as people call it. Uh, The take-all root rot will start pouring in and and so on.
0: So you tweeted a wonderful picture that really demonstrates the value of uh, good diagnostics. And, and, you know, people see a patch on tall fescue or see leaves, uh, some leaf uh, spots on tall fescue and immediately spray a brown patch fungicide and then send the sample in. Uh, Rich Buckley uh, and you guys have been going on and on about this. How odd is it to see dollar spot on tall fescue? So in,
1: in that photo, the dollar spot was actually on Kentucky bluegrass, not tall fescue.
0: Oh, that must be up in Asheville, up in the mountains.
1: No, it, we see it in the, in the Raleigh area. People will blend it with tall fescue. No kidding. Not terribly uncommon. Now, if you try to grow a pure stand of Kentucky bluegrass, it will get obliterated with summer patch. Um, but people will blend it with tall fescue. And, you know, And it's very common for folks to... Think they have brown patch uh, in those stands, like I said, and that's that's where they get messed up. I mean, it's you know it's kind of funny. <laughs> we were out looking at a research trial uh, yesterday with a company, and you know it's a, a product that they're coming out, experimental product that's that's looking really good on brown patch. And then one of their plots was just devastated, and from a distance, it was like, well, why does that plot have so much brown patch? And then you know you go over there and get on your hands and knees, and you're like, oh nope, this is actually gray leaf spot. Once again, you got to know the difference between them. Uh, And then that, you know, that explained why it wasn't working. You know, it wasn't brown patch. It was actually gray leaf spot. So same deal.
0: I heard from Rich Buckley, who I think Bruce Clark walked into the diagnostic lab last week and had Rich looking at some samples of gray leaf spot that seems to have blown up since that tropical storm came up the coast. This is a great transition to this uh, horrifying problem uh, how worried are you about gray leaf spot with all the moisture in the environment and now the heat?
1: It's a serious issue for us, especially for tall fescue. Fortunately, for the past several years, Jim and I have educated people on it uh, because it re- really just didn't see that much of it. But in the past, I don't know, five plus years, uh, it's becoming more and more of an issue in tall fescue. And back to what we were just talking about, it was getting misdiagnosed You know, in the QOI fungicides you know they're pretty good early on but once you get later in the summer they, they don't really seem to hold up as good as you'd like against gray leaf spot and that's why we try to push people to tank mix stylofenate methyl in there because it still works really well uh, on gray leaf spot here but it, it is a serious issue a few years ago it was completely devastating especially for folks that were uh, establishing new stands of tall fescue so that you know they would plant their fescue late august early september and then you know we were seeing entire stands just get wiped out, devastated by gray leaf spot. And those folks, that wasn't even on their radar. They weren't even thinking uh, about something like that. But folks are getting more and more aware of it.
0: And are you seeing any more use or development of gray leaf spot resistant tall fescues? Because you know that's the big thing up here. That's I think been killing us. Not only is it moving in now on the tall fescues, which a few years ago was unheard of up north, but it's taking out previously resistant perennial ryegrasses. So we're starting to watch this organism change over time. Is there some varietal resistance, Lee, in the tall fescues that you guys have been able to capitalize in any way?
1: Yeah, so if it is, I'm not completely familiar with it. Uh, I will say that we do a lot of research with uh, Dr. Melody Frazier at Pure Seed. They have a research farm about 45 minutes north of Raleigh. That's where we do a lot of our great leaf spot research, actually. I haven't been out there yet this year, but I'm actually going to ask. I'm, I'm curious about that I as well. You <laughs> I, I, I you know will. I know she's made observations in all of her fescue trials. I mean, her, the pressure is just so intense uh, on that farm. It's just a fantastic place for disease research. And it's you know it's a great place for a company like that to separate you know the the strong from the weak. So
0: yeah, and listen, as we wrap up, Lee, you know I know you're driving out to a trial, keeping the lab going. Uh, obviously, lab is working in a little bit different way this year, but it really is undeniable if you get a proper diagnosis. It can save you thousands and thousands of dollars in a fungicide spray. I mean, this, again, going back to some Twitter conversation that was happening that this superintendent made on a fairway for one problem. It turns out they had another problem. And essentially, a $5,000 application was really made ineffective. It was targeting the wrong problem But do you have some examples of people that have sent in samples and say, man, thanks, I would have done this if you didn't tell me?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of examples of that. You know, the the one I run into the most is folks getting bad diagnoses. And (laughs) we won't get into details, but I mean, it it happens. It's out there. You know, the only thing I can say is is when you send samples in, send them into a trusted source, somebody you've actually heard of or you see uh, active in research or a, a name you recognize just like anything, uh, shop around and be careful because that, that's, that's probably where I run into the biggest problems where, where folks have gotten just terrible diagnoses and, and that sent them down the wrong path. You know, the one thing I would like to drive home is whenever you get a diagnosis, stop and think about it, right? Anybody can look in a microscope and say, oh, I saw this or I saw that. Well, that doesn't mean anything unless it matches the actual symptoms you're seeing. So if somebody tells you, hey, you have dollar spot," well, then you better have dollar-spot-like symptoms, right? Whatever, you can take any example. But I've seen many cases where somebody diagnosed, uh, you know, a sample with, let's say, take-all patch, right? And the symptoms are not circular patches. You know, it's irregular or it's tiny spots or it's a foliar, whatever. It doesn't even come close to matching take-all patch. So, you know, when you get a diagnosis, sit and think about it, does this make sense, right? Do my symptoms match what this disease should be producing, it's so easy to look in books and online to see images of what diseases look like, you know, make sure things match up.
0: Thanks so much for taking the time Lee, please drive carefully and I'll look forward to chatting with you again down the road. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking the time. Yep. Take care. Butler is a graduate of the NC State Turfgrass Management Program and manages the Turf Diagnostic Lab at NC State, and he's remaining active in the Turf Pathology Field Research Program. This allows him to work with turfgrass managers to develop effective disease management plans based on his knowledge of current disease activity and observations made in the fungicide efficacy trials. He's an active instructor in the program and researcher as well as an extension educator in the great NC State Turfgrass team take samples from all over and you can get more information at turfpathology.ces.ncsu.edu the turfgrass hotline is brought to you by our friends at dryjack the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass intelligro makers of civitas a fungicide that's so much more and the plant food company developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946 The Turfgrass Hotline is recorded and produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger, and executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.